Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the REC Podcast, brought to you by REC Comics and Collectibles. I'm your host, Roman Chavez, and with me as always... Eric Icarus. And today, guys, we have a special guest, our homeboy... Jordan Tenney. All right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice to have guests. We're having guests more and more frequently, and I'm starting to dig this. Um, so, Jordan, friend of the show, uh, kind of had a... Uh, an idea, uh, a topic that he wanted us to discuss. It was it was actually uh, quite lengthy, um, but I, I found it to be uh, refreshing, something interesting. And if you'd like to just kind of set it up for us. Yeah, so uh, Roman and I have known each other a long time. I worked at the movie theater, and you know we have long history going to Comic-Con. And I was thinking to myself that now in my new profession as a teacher, how... I'm always surrounded by stories. And I thought, you know, movies are all about storytelling. It's visual storytelling. And there's emotion, there's plot, and there's, you know, action, and all these different things. And the way I approach my job as a teacher is uh, teaching history, American history. It's still storytelling. It's just a different kind. And I thought to myself, you know, I've always been attracted to really good stories, whether it's in movies and comics, TV shows, and books, obviously, too. And so I thought it'd be very interesting to kind of go into, you know, favorite stories, stories that impacted or changed our perspective on things. And, um, and I, think it's very, I think it's very important to keep in mind that story takes many forms. Mm-hmm. You know, music is a form of storytelling. Art and uh, you know, painting sculpture is a form of storytelling. But I think when we talk about comics, TV shows, movies... I think there's a lot of good stories out there. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about them and the ones we like and maybe some of the ones we don't like. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I completely agree with you. When you did it, it felt, it felt a little bit more... Uh, uh, cerebral is too strong a word, but it's definitely you know something that... you know We've just been more talking about our opinion, but this felt very um, focused. So I was really excited, really interested to talk about it because I agree with you too. I watch a lot of television. I watch a lot of movies and read a lot of comics. So I've got... A, I've, I've got uh, Stories to tell. Um, we've got we've got it kind of broken down into some categories, uh, and you know just kind of what were our favorite stories uh, from comic books, TV, uh, film, and literature. And as our guest, would you please uh, start us off with your favorite uh, comic story that you like? Oh, my favorite comic story. Well, I'm a little uh, you know wet behind the ears when it comes to some comics, but um, I've always my favorite comics have always been Batman. Like, okay. As in, in the many different Batman titles, um, for me though, Hush is probably the mm. one that I I read it as a Batman comic, uh-huh. but I didn't read it as a comic book. It okay. just felt it, it really did feel like a, a much bigger story, mm. and uh, and I was really pulled in and uh, and Thomas Elliot and these different characters that um, just even some of the peripheral ones that don't have a huge impact on the story. Um, I was very much drawn to the setup and the premise. Yeah, um, uh, Kingdom Come, okay. I, I you know kind of the, this big where it's a you know it's a it's a limited series, uh, but it's still approachable for someone like me that doesn't have ten fifteen years of backstory with some of the characters mm. and that and that's a big thing too is being able to jump into a story and and figure out kind of what's going on and and know who some of the key players are and still get a new story that hasn't been done a billion times yeah uh what about you Eric? you know uh you know this obviously yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've probably talked about this with you a thousand times uh, i'm gonna go born again from daredevil uh frank miller um wrote the story and david mazzuccelli did the art um just having 
not trying to delve too deep into it, um, just having gone through a lot of dark times in your life, that book found me at the right moment. Um, this book transcends comic book, fairy tale storytelling and kind of delves into, you know, forgiveness. Um, basically, the story, do you want me to go through the whole story or just give you beats real give, quick? Give us the beats. Give us the beats. Okay, essentially, Kingpin finds out through uh, Karen Page had sold Matt's secret identity to a drug dealer who in turn sold it to Kingpin. Mm. And Kingpin is like, okay, I'm going to tear his life apart. And he does so systematically, um, blows up his apartment, which destroys all of his stuff, his suit, everything like that. Um, so and then Matt that one has pair of glasses. His he has one. He, has one <laughs> he heck, I think he kept those. In his, okay. his nice blue puffer jacket. <laughs> and then um, so Matt ends up going crazy, um, falling apart at the seams. Confronts the kingpin, gets beat down horribly, left for dead. Um, so it's essentially up to Matt to piece his life back together. And um, you know what's amazing about the story is, um, regardless of your faith, there's a lot of Catholic imagery in the story and it I think it just shows that in all of the darkness surrounding you there's going to be hope whether it's your faith whether it's holding on to something um there's a side story of Karen trying to get to Matt to uh tell him that it was her that leaked the identity and there's a really powerful scene in there where you know she gets to New York but the drug dealers are after Karen they're about to kill her she uh, finds this heroin needle in her pimp's coat. It's a really <laughs> of, of amazing story. Yeah. So cheerful. <laughs> and she's saying goodbye to herself, telling Matt, I love you. She's about to shoot herself with a heroin OD. And Matt comes in, saves the day. And there's a silent panel with Matt comforting Karen. There's no words needed for that. You could just see the fragility on both of these characters and his love enveloping her like forgiving her mm -hmm. so you know another side real quick it's like i think the story shows that the costume doesn't make the hero mm. because he doesn't have the costume through pretty much that whole story and it's just essentially him trying to find redemption and getting the costume back i always felt like in a way we're all superheroes going out into the world and it's not and we're all wearing a costume essentially going yeah. out into the world and it's not it's not that that makes you you. Mm -hmm. It's what you present to the world. So that that's why that story is so impactful to me is just uh, surviving and trying to find hope when there's no hope. Mm. So that's why that cuts deep for me. You know, Frank Miller's uh, uh, Born Again Run is, is, is allowed it as, you know, one of the best comic book stories yeah, of all times. Yeah, absolutely. And and I like that. You know, it's, it's him outside the suit. It's him almost re-earning the mantle of oh, Daredevil. Daredevil. Oh, because yeah, that amazing that, panel with him. Jumping out of the fire with the Daredevil suit on, about to take on Nuke. That is, that gives me chills. Every and and time to storytelling there, you know, that, yeah. that's a, that's imagery, visual imagery that pushes the storyline. That you know, you could have read those words as a script form and it be impactful, but to see, oh for sure, and come rise. From oh yeah, the fire. There, and it's cool. It's like there's nods to the Station of the Cross in there, mm -hmm. which is it's cool to. Again, regardless of your faith, it's it's really cool storytelling to parallel biblical stuff. Because regardless, the the Bible has really awesome stories. Yeah. Regardless, you know. Well, of, of any of any comic book character in existence, Matt's religion is part. It's it, paramount. It, yes, to him. it is. It, it is. is part of that character, and it's not done in a way that it feels. It's not ham fisted. No, no. It's, it's 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 nothing like that. It is essential to the it's character. It's a beacon of hope in this darkness. It, yeah, it keeps him. 
it keeps him there. Yep. Whereas, you know, I guess you would argue that Batman, just like his his deal, his uh, thought of justice and the fact that people can be really rehabilitated, is kind of what guides him in terms sure. of like why he doesn't kill people sure, because sure. he believes in the system. There you go. Um, with Hush, Hush is one of my is my absolute favorite Batman storyline. I won't argue with anybody in terms of what what they think is is the best Batman storyline, but that one's a great um, introduction into the character. If you if you're just familiar with him from the movies, from the cartoon as a child, being able to see his entire rogues gallery in a 12 issue right. run for oh, the most man, part yeah. is just, it's, it's so well done. It has beats of forgiveness. It has beats of, of uh, forgetting who you were and having sure. to remember that. Um, for me, I'm, mine's not going to go uh, as... You know, uh, as deep cuts as, as yours is, Eric and Jordan's. I, I, you, you, I was almost there. I was almost gonna gonna do Hush, but I thought you might do Hush, <laughs> so I kind of stepped back. For me, as a comic book fan, uh, one of my absolute favorite storylines is very simple. It flies under the radar in, in a lot of ways, and I've referenced it before in the show. But it's called uh, um, the Illuminati. It's a Marvel oh, yeah. book. And it follows um, kind of our Marvel's Illuminati of Doctor Strange, Professor X, Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Black, uh, Bolt. Uh, Black Bolt of the Inhumans, and did I say Doctor Strange? Yes, he did. Um, did you get Namor? Namor, thank you, Namor. Yeah. So it kind of follows them. And this and this was a five issue miniseries. It's my favorite miniseries of all time. And again, not that it's. The best, it's just my favorite. It's something that I've read countless times. Each issue deals individually. Kind of, if our uh, if our comic book stories are a road, the cracks in the road are this book. And so if our road is Civil War, then the, the kind of the cracks would be the, the side story. Like, what's happening on the, on the, on the uh, periphery of the storyline? So we're seeing each issue deal with Infinity Gauntlet, and then what they were kind of doing to to uh, deal with Infinity Stones, uh, to do with um, just them having female problems. Like, what do superheroes do when they're having problems with their wives? What does Reed Richards do? Who does he talk oh, to? Okay. I, I thought you were talking about other female problems, like uh, this woman uh, having her time of the month. No, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feminine hygiene. It's very okay. That's what I thought you were hygiene. getting at there. Um, and it was just it was just a very uh, uh, fun and provocative, ancillary storyline. Sure. And well, why did it really connect with you, though? Was it just the secretive part of it? or is it I like just... the secret of it. I like the, you know, it's in, it's hard to tell a story at all. Sure. And I think it's even harder to add to a story. And we see that constantly in literature when somebody's like, oh, I'll do the Bourne legacy and just add to this, you know, already established sure, Jason sure. Bourne universe. Yeah. And it can have so many different feels given who the main writer was of the Kree scroll War. We have... Uh, Brian Michael Bendis then kind of telling us these stories on the on the edges and how these characters handled it. We didn't see it's kind of a retcon of a story, but it was just it was fascinating. It was it had layers to it. It had these very powerful characters of of Marvel comics, and like I said, at one point dealing with something as small as oh my wife is is uh, I don't want my wife to leave me. I need to be there more for her from Reed Richards. He's you like, know what's cool is, like like you said, it's seeing these powerful beings being human. Yes. And I think that's what's so interesting about the book. Hush, you have Batman almost dying when his, uh, when his you know, rappel line uh, snaps, and he's very vulnerable. You have Matt's, you know, world this taken away sure, from him. Yeah. You know, his shield, basically, of being Daredevil and being Matt Murdock ripped from him. And then, in this story, we have def- different layers of, of just, you know, people weakness. Yeah. Just what normal people go through. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and start off the, the, the TV episodes because I, I, I did something a, a little, uh, you know, when you proposed this to us, two things immediately jumped out in my head. Um, for me, I chose two episodes of, of television that I absolutely, to this day, some of my favorite stuff. Um, from Buffy season four, episode eight, uh, it's called Hush. <laughs> and uh, uh, it is it is a brilliant storyline. It is a it is a, a a TV episode. You know they're they're normally about forty four to forty six minutes long. These Buffy and Angel episodes, and this one uh, I believe there's only like forty one minutes. There's forty one minutes of silence in the episode. And the story around it makes me uh, enjoy it as just as much. Where everybody kept telling Joss Whedon. You know, you write the best dialogue, you, right, you, right, right. You, you know, the way people talk and da, da da And he was like, well, I wonder if I can tell a story without it. And in the story, there are these characters called the gentlemen that come to uh, Sunnydale. So <laughs> creepy. These rictus grins and they kind of hover. And what they do is they're susceptible to, to, to the to voice sound. So they have this like magic box that steals the voices from everybody in Sunnydale. And they kind of float through and they take the hearts of seven victims. It's just kind of their ritual. And so we have our, our, our Buffy and the Scooby gang uh, <laughs> having to fight a foe without being able to talk to each other. And it was so interesting to see how, how, to what lengths they would go into, you know, remedial sign language, drawing on a, on a dry erase board or a chalkboard and seeing them uh, react to each other. And not only uh, react to each other, but a very... Uh, integral storyline comes Buffy is dating this guy who doesn't know that she's the vampire slayer and she doesn't know that he's actually a secret covert military uh, person who deals with monsters for the government and it's revealed in this story and just seeing them deal with this monumental thing in their relationship without being able to express it was just some of the best storytelling and it had no words it has like four minutes of dialogue or something like that Mm. just a fascinating way to tell a story and then Another uh, Joss Whedon property was uh, Angel Season 1, uh, Episode... Uh, and I'm sorry, it was Buffy Season 4, Episode 10, written by Joss Whedon. And then in Angel Season 1, Episode 8, Eric will remember this, <laughs> this episode is called I Will Remember. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. written by uh, David Greenwalt and uh, Janine uh, Renshaw. Oof, yeah. This episode was uh, the first time I realized that I could allow a TV show to impact me on an emotional level. Sure. So this would have been... We're in season four of Buffy and season one of Angel. So I'd been watching all that stuff and I had felt things about the show and about the characters. But in this episode, to sum it up, uh, Angel has left River, uh, sorry, Sunnydale to be, you know, to kind of give Buffy her, her space. But he's kind of been showing up very little creepily and like helping her in the, again, in the peripheries. And she finds out that he's been there and she's upset. So she goes to L.A. where he's moved and... Uh, she goes to confront him about, you know, kind of being creepy and like, hey, if you're in town, talk to me. As they're talking, this samurai looking demon shows up. Uh, they both fight it and as uh, they, they injure it and its blood mixes with angels and this blood actually brings him back to life. It give, his heartbeat starts and he doesn't know what to do with it. He's no longer a vampire. For him, he's supposed to. He knows that he's supposed to... Uh, kind of go through this life as as the undead and he's given this chance like he thinks oh like i've got this well he goes and tells buffy they have this like amazing day they're figuring out how they can be together but angel is no longer a vampire he has no powers and uh he has a friend in the show that has visions and these visions 
uh, show Buffy needing his help and him not being able to help her. So he makes a deal with the fates. You know, can you make me a vampire again with a soul? They say, we can't do that, but we can swallow this day. Like, this day never happened. Mm-hmm. And, oh my god, it is one of the most emotional things where he makes a deal because he knows he has to be there for Buffy. And it's like, you know, at the stroke of midnight, this day will be gone. And he goes and he tells her, and it's like 11.57. And he's like, look, I had to do this thing because I'm not going to be able to help you. And she's like, no. She's like, you know, we, we you know, well, when is this happening? And he goes, at midnight. And she's like, we don't have time. And it's just this beautiful scene where she's just like, you know, we need more time. We need, need more time. We had the day. And then we, everything just kind of like flashes. And we start at the beginning of their conversation when she visits him. Mm. And uh, uh, we go, you know, the, the demon comes through. Angel now knows how to kill him right away, kills him right away. And then she's like, so is that it? And he's like, yeah, I guess that's it, basically. And she leaves. Mm. And at the end of the episode, I was actually watching it with Eric and uh, another friend of ours. And you just see, like, the sadness. And you feel it. And the episode ends. And I look over. And all three of us are just kind of, like, jaw open, like, Wow, that was sad. Yeah. And, like, that's what makes oh, a hero. Yeah. He gave up his happiness. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I was tearing up. It was it was, yeah. it was was beautiful. And it was a show about a vampire and a vampire slayer. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eric, you were there. Yeah. How did you feel about that story when you watched it? I could see it on your face. Oh, but... man. You know, it was crushing. Um, <laughs> again, I mean, I wasn't an avid fan of both of those shows until I saw that episode. You know? Um, yeah. It really, you know, really showed me through and through that you're right heroes have to be a hero and you you sacrifice happiness for the greater good and yeah sometimes you just got to give up love baby. oh man yeah it's heartbreaking give up your happiness man but yeah yeah no it was amazing i yeah good good choices both thank, great thank choices you. thank you what's a what's a tv episode that you really you know i picked not one episode because to me it's um one giant episode is the first season of true detective oh god written by nick pizzolato um Essentially, this whole show deals with nihilism, apathy, just all the awful things of humanity. And it sums it up by having uh, Rustin Coles, one of the main characters. His character arc is finished at the end of this episode. And he has one of the best quotes in all of TV history where he's um, saying, um, what does he say? He says, looks like the, um, he said, once it was all dark. Then there was light. If you look, at, if you ask me, it looks like the light's winning. Yeah. So it's just him finally embracing hope again mm. after losing his daughter, going through everything he's gone through. Um, I mean, that TV show sets up such amazing visuals. I mean, you get these awesome HP Lovecraft visuals, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just through the occultism, and um, you know, it's just a, it's just really great storytelling at its core. It's a. Uh, the other main character, Marty Hart, doing trying to do the right things in the wrong way, yeah. basically, and. You know, he's he knows he's not infallible and he's going to um, have his side women. He's going to blow up his family because of his compulsions. Yeah, you know, vices. Exactly. And I, I like that we say about nihilism and apathy and guys who, who have a hard time doing right, but still trying to be good. In the right. World. And that's the point of the whole yeah. show mm-hmm. is, you know, is any is everything going to be? fine or right no never yeah i'm sorry it's never it's not you know just because i'm i'm a, maybe a true nihilist i guess in a way. but in a way i, I see I, I find the I find, I find the hope in nothing yeah because you've got to make the nothing mean something or you're just going to be lost and i think that's what that show showed me man yeah. you know it's just an amazing run in shows i almost went with twin peaks but it's just too 
Twin Peaks is it's too, too out weird. There. It's like visual poetry, and I love Lynch, but it's just it's too. You can interpret interpret it too many different ways. So, but that I mean, I guess you can. Any story, story it's all yeah. subjective, but that's just too too out there. <laughs> Big tuna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even like tuna. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, having this conversation so far and thinking about it, it's made me reflect about how comic books and graphic novels mm-hmm. are visual storytelling, but it's a static image. Mm-hmm. So when you read a Batman, a Daredevil, a Superman, or whatever comic, you're seeing a visual story. But what's not getting in the way between you and the story is someone's performance. Mm, sure. So I'm not looking at, um, I'm not, you know, I don't watch, uh, I, I don't read a Batman comic as this is Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. this is Christian Bale. I mean, it'd be cool if it was Adam West. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, Batman sixty six. But, um, uh, but yeah. So um, people's performances, what television, movies, and these things, it just it can easily elevate. I mean, gosh, you look at. Matthew McConaughey's performance in True oh, Detective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. Like, I don't think anybody could have done that character justice after seeing him do it. Right. You know? Yeah, nobody uh, talks about Woody Harrelson. He's amazing. He's, yeah, yeah, exactly. The problem is he has it's to play the straight man. Yeah, yes, too, exactly. Yeah, yeah like, yep. if, if, if uh, McConaughey's not in that show, we would be talking about how good right. Woody Harrelson is. Right. right. It yeah. wouldn't work without... I, yeah. No, it really <laughs> wouldn't. It wouldn't. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so thinking about television, one of my favorite TV shows, uh, short-lived... British show. I can, I can kind of see it on Roman's face a little <laughs> bit. So uh, so back in the 60s, Patrick McGoohan had starred in this uh, British show called Danger Man. They brought it to the United States and they renamed it Secret Agent Man. And the theme song, a lot of people know that. So while he kind of made his uh, name and kind of you know honed his craft on this action show, which is sort of a, um, in a way, it's sort of its own type of James Bond um, story. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to focus on something that told um, the message he wanted to convey, and he had seen the world in the '60s was moving towards more of this, especially Great Britain was moving towards more of this um, collectivist. I, I don't want to use the term "big brother" because you know, obviously, you know, it's more Orwellian now than it was then. Yeah. But, but, um, but he wanted to create a show that conveyed this idea that individuals have value and that the system is never bigger than the person. And so he created the prisoner. And so, (laughs) and so in the show, every episode uh, is him. The first episode, uh, which is then kind of recycled into the opening credits. You have a person who goes into his boss's office. Uh, There's no audio. It's just the narration. The music is playing or the music is playing. There's no narration or anything. He goes in, he quits his job. He goes back to his uh, flat, his house in London. He's packing his bag, falls asleep, wakes up, similar looking environment, opens the window. He's not in London. He's somewhere else. And every episode, there's a person uh, with the name number two and some actors, re they kind of recycle and come back. And so, it, you know, whether the story is being told in a linear way, it doesn't really matter. But every episode, he's brought to this place, the village. And they have one question for him. And if he answers that question, his life will be easier. And it's, why did you resign? There's something about why he resigned from whatever position he had that he is keeping secret and they want to know. And masked in the, in the show is this idea that the entity, the group, the collective that runs the village is not one particular government, but is sort of this 
external, maybe international, global syndicate or something that traffics in information. Like shadow government type yeah, stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> and, and uh, in, um, in a biography about Patrick McGuhan that was written called Not a Number, um, he the author goes to great lengths to explain that so many times story focuses on what's happening with the characters, right? You're dropped into the beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, and Patrick McGuhan sort of reflected on the idea of what happens to James Bond when he retires. Mm, Is yeah. he allowed to retire? Yeah. Does the British government, does Her Majesty's Secret Service want somebody like him with all he knows to be able to do whatever he wants? And so there's kind of this idea, there is this theory that the character from Danger Man was his character. He's yeah. only given the name number six. Yeah. Never confer. I mean, it's just, I mean, Patrick McGoon has said that's not the case. Yeah. But it's just kind of one of those sort of TV conspiracy theories. But there is this brilliant, well-done episode called A, B, and C. And in the episode, he wakes, uh, he, he wakes up, kind of goes throughout his day and these things. Uh, and every episode, number six, the main character, he sort of looks for little ways to poke and prod at the people that are holding him. Yeah. He doesn't want to give in to them. He's always trying to hold on to some symbol of his uh, individuality. And in the episode, the, the village, the people that run the village, number two, they have this technology and they have some information. They know that number six, when he wasn't in the village, had contact with some various people. And they were able to use their computers, and it's 1960s, so it's like real <coughs> tape and, you know, very big computers. Yeah, flashing lights. Computers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and using this machine, they can put him in a deep sleep state, and they can project images into his mind. And so their idea is... Uh, they're, um, we're going to create an environment in which he talked to these three people. And we have a file on this person. We know what he looks like. We have a file on this woman. We know what she looks like. And this third person, we're not entirely sure. And they call them A, B, and C. And so they, they put them under. They, they plug in the data tape to A. And the episode now, he's at this party. And, you know, kind of, I'm not sure why I'm here. And he, you don't really know if he knows if it's a dream or not. And he's talking to this person. And uh, come to find out they had been selling their secrets and they wanted him to kind of join the this uh, this group of former spies and things. And he resists and there's a little action scene or whatever. He wakes up, he's got these little the marks and he's kind of somewhat remembering something had happened, but mm. not entirely sure. And then it happens again and he quickly realizes that they're inducing these psychological um, uh, states in his sleep to make him relive an event and try to find out why he retired because all the characters are trying to find out why he resigned why did you retire and so he quickly realizes this must be the village messing with me and when all said and done C is this masked figure and we don't really see who it is and now that he's figured out how they're manipulating his mind the episode ends number two is in the control room and he's watching this screen and the screen is number six's dream as it's taking place and number six grabs the masked person and he takes the mask off and we don't see who it is and he's like ah oh, yes it was you you're the you know you're the traitor you know you you know what's going on and then the camera turns and it's number two and number two is like that's not me and that's the moment he realizes we almost had him but we didn't <laughs> yeah. and that's how every episode ends and some of the episodes actually end on a uh, on a note where number six feels defeated like yeah. they just they, they he never breaks he never cracks but 
some episodes it's kind of parabolic. Like mm-hmm. some episodes he's doing, uh, he's really, he's almost on the verge of getting away. Some episodes, there's a one great episode where they let him get away. Yeah. Um, and, and then bring him back, you know, mm-hmm. and then other times, it's just super interesting to see because he wrote, almost, I think about half of the episodes directed several of them, mm-hmm. uh, was the star, was very involved. I mean, this was his project. It was his vision. And interestingly enough, a British director many years later would be inspired by it. He wanted to produce and direct a film version of The Prisoner. And realizing it's such a big story to try to put into one film, decided not to. His name is Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, and watching ABC, it's like, wow, this is... It's not Inception, yeah, but it's it's kind of that kernel idea. That idea it's, of it, yeah, you know. it's almost like Inception in a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, that's the one of the greatest shows that that Americans especially have never watched. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, the episode. What is it? Number seven. The the one about where they convince number six, or they're trying to convince number six that he's not number six, that he's yeah, the that's skit, another person. It's, yeah, the schizoid man. Okay. So yeah, they essentially they spend weeks or maybe even months um, uh, training him so that they shock him if he uses his right hand, so he starts using his left hand, and he grows out a mustache and all these things, and then they bring somebody that looks just like him, and they're like, so number this guy number six is coming, and yeah, and he starts to even doubt well, who he is. he is. Yeah, but I mean, you look at almost any fiction that is. Uh, uh, somewhat dystopian or it's like conspiracy mm-hmm. centered I mean you look at a show like Lost yeah. and it's a big premise and you've got this smoke monster and what is the smoke monster doing it just grabs people and on The Prisoner it's a weather balloon yeah. and it just rolls down and a rover just grabs people and keeps going and you just you see it had this huge impact on storytelling decades later um, an anti-escape and, balloon yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah a lot of tons of cultural references. Uh, my favorite cultural reference to the prisoner is an episode of The Simpsons. Oh yeah, we old man, which was voiced by Patrick McGoon. Yeah, he, he actually voices the 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 guy who's running yeah. the place, yep. right? And uh, it, it's so it's so funny. And I you know I knew about all of these references before I knew about the show because I'd seen them in pop culture. And when Jordan years ago told me about the prisoner, I was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I've never seen a single episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, they did a remake of it not too long ago, right? AMC did a miniseries. They did a three-part uh, miniseries, uh, sort of a retelling. They combined a few. There is a part of the one of the episodes is a version of the Schizoid Man. Jim Caviezel is number six, and number two is Ian McKellen. Ooh, nice. And very, inter- I mean, similar theories. That is a, and, and that's a good example of how an adaptation should never simply just be a remake. Like I don't want to see the same thing again. Sure, and uh, and so they do give you more answers than the 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 British uh, '60s show gave. Um, and you know, to some people, to, you know, some purists, they might say, you know, like, oh, well, the great thing about the prisoner is that you, you know, you you never know his name, you never know uh, why he resigned, you never get very many answers. But um, while that's a super interesting premise, there's no closure there. Yeah. 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 There is an expiration date to a story that doesn't have an end. Mm. Very true. Ooh. Very true. Um, are you familiar with the prisoner at yes, all? Outside yes. of okay. Oh yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, such, such a it's such really an interesting storyline. Um, when it comes to to movies, you know, we have all these of these diff- different storytelling mediums, and I didn't really add anything in terms of like like you were talking about earlier, art and sculpture and, and stuff like that. But I did stick to that kind of comic, TV, film, and then literature. Um, Eric, could you give us uh, what is you know, your favorite film 
you my know, favorite film yeah. of all time. You know, if you can have that. You know, maybe the one that you reference. If, if I'm new to film, sure. I've never watched a movie. Give me the movie that you're like, you have to watch this. Uh, let me go... Let's go Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, okay. Yeah. Um, man, I think all my... Uh... Picks up a running theme here of despair. Yeah, man. Do you need to talk? <laughs> After we stop, this, this is the talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is actually an intervention. Um, you know, <laughs> you know. This is um. I, I, have you seen it? George oh yeah, Taxi Driver. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, okay, absolutely. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. So honestly, I mean, what's great about this movie is um, it, you you are rooting for the villain. Essentially, this guy doesn't really have a uh, he has a character arc, but he doesn't change yeah. at all. Uh, do you want me to give a quick rundown of this? Totally. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, essentially, Robert Nero plays Travis Bickle. He's a uh, former military army person, and he becomes a taxi driver. He works long hours because he can't sleep. He's an insomniac. Runs into a prostitute who's trying to get away from her pimp. Tries to get into her car. Jody <laughs> Foster. Yeah. Yep. 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 Harvey Keitel plays the pimp. Oh, nice. <laughs> and um, Harvey Keitel, uh, before they can drive off, he pulls... Uh, the uh, prostitute, Jodie Foster, out of the car, throws Travis Bickle a 20, says, forget what you saw. He hangs on to that 20, doesn't spend it. And um, he ends up falling in love with a woman working for a political um, a uh, political guy who has presidential aspirations, basically. Okay. And um, so he kind of, his name's Palantine. So he essentially tries, he tries to feign interest in this Palantine character to, you know, sway his love interest into liking him. He doesn't really necessarily agree with this guy. He's sure. just kind of spouting off things he's heard. Um, long story short, he takes this love interest to a porno flick for their first date. Oh. She freaks out, runs away from him. Um, at this point, he realizes he's lost everything. He's like, okay, I don't belong in this world. Da, 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 da. He's telling himself, I need to give my life meaning. So he starts buying guns, starts training, you know, getting a little more buff. To save Jodie Foster from the pimp. Uh, and okay. it ends in bloodshed, him uh, killing a bunch of these uh, other pimps. Because uh, pimps hang out like all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, they have this hotel apparently in the New York where they hotel hang out. Hotel des pimps. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Chateau des pimps. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it ends with uh, him trying to kill himself, can't, just out of bullets, can't do it. Um, it flashes forward, He, the, Jodie Foster's back with her parents. Uh, he gets a like pardon for all those murders, Jeez. and he be- he's still a taxi driver. He picks up his love interest from the beginning of the film. They kind of have a uh, okay, everything's okay. Give each other a wave goodbye. And what's brilliant, and this is just uh, a nod to Scorsese's storytelling, is him driving his taxi after he's dropped his love interest off. He looks in the rearview mirror, and the move, the music, the soundtrack turns backwards. You can actually hear the music score do a backwards take and it's yeah. him like looking in the mirror seeing something that's probably caught his interest again yeah so it's it's the music telling you oh yeah. back to the start he's, he's gonna do this, he's gonna do this all over again so <laughs> uh yeah that that is probably my favorite movie of all time um clockwork orange is another one another redemption tale that goes nowhere <laughs> the character doesn't learn anything um that's another you know we could delve into that a little he's um alex pretty much doesn't change and I think the point of the story, I mean, even the um, the title of the book or movie, uh, Clockwork Orange, is, you know, it's something, trying to make something organic mechanical, which mm. they try to do to yeah. him. And it, with his glossies. Yeah, with his glossies, <laughs> and it doesn't work. Yeah. And it, essentially, he, he's the same person at the end of the book, if not worse. So, uh. yeah. I, I like storytelling. I like stories that essentially don't have maybe a happy ending, but maybe a truthful ending. I know people maybe 
watch movies, read books to escape from reality. But I think I like stories that give a good spin on reality. Okay. You, you like know the reality I mean? beats. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think just them maybe not learning things, it's because it, that's their nature. And mm-hmm. you can't change the nature of a person, no matter how hard you try. And I think that's what those two movies... I think um, you shape the nature. Sure. And I think that that's kind of what we're going to talk about in this discussion about storytelling. But uh, I like it. And, I, and honestly, you know, when, when Jordan uh, proposed this idea to me for the show, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Because Eric's going to have very different takes than I am oh, and yeah. Jordan. And it's going to give us, you know, it's going to give us a, a, a wide a wide berth, a wide spectrum sure. of, of film. Discussion. Too, um, absolutely. For me, kind of one of my island movies, if you know, if I can only take a few movies on an island, which would be weird, uh, uh, Pulp Fiction is okay. one of my favorite stories in general because when I saw it, I had never seen a story told in such a way. Oh, right. And uh, Quentin Tarantino written and directed. And the... The idea of the movie being told in these, like, chapters. And he does that a lot in his sure. movies. Um, and it felt like, you know, there were obviously some things that happened later in the movie that actually should have happened earlier in the movie. And I remember this, this and I'm going to paraphrase this quote. Uh, he's like, you know, I don't tell stories in flashback. I'm giving you the information in the in the time that I want you to receive it. Yeah, there you go. So uh, we have a, a prolific storyteller giving us a story in a way that we are not used to seeing. Right. You know, where we have characters who are, who die early on in the movie and show up again later. Right. But because you can't end with your heroes dead. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and you can't have, you know, and, and we just kind of follow, you know, these stories within stories, another type of inception oh, yeah. thing where we're just, we're seeing all these characters and then there's this loose string that connects them all. Sure. Excellent dialogue. Uh, Interesting action, to say the least. Uh, there's not; uh, it's not an action movie, but there are action beats. Oh, for sure! And they do nothing but add to the story and not take away from it. Something like a Fast and the Furious, where it's like heist, you know, heist, and then an explosion happens right away. Like there's nothing. There's no. I think those movies could benefit where uh, maybe having a gimp in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, could, yeah. I would get into Fast and Furious when you gimp. when you can add a gimp to your movie. You've got something yeah, going. Absolutely. You've got something going. So we have a pimp and a gimp. So there you go. All right. Do you have a, a story with a guy who might limp? <laughs> Fred Durst directed uh, no. Limp Biscuit joke. For, if you're listening in the early 2000s. Uh, no. Um, so do you have another one? Another desert island or? Um, you know, it, it changes. Uh, it changes and and uh, to. I think for the time, and, and given the time of year, they just actually did a, a, a Dark Knight trilogy kind of uh, anniversary, and I'm a big fan of Batman, I'm a big fan of Heath Ledger's Joker, but I have to tell you guys, on a quick note, The Dark Knight and oh, The yeah. Dark Knight Rises do not hold up they for don't. me at all. We talked um, about that, I'm, re- I'm in total agreement. Yeah, uh, Ledger's performance as a Joker is still top-notch, yep. but for my money, Batman Begins is the only one that has mm-hmm. any legs in that story, and I couldn't... It used to be the Dark Knight was an island movie for me, and it's not anymore. I I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless oh, they wow. want to you're going to go that far. Unless wow. they're like, hey, what's the one of the best Joker performances? I would say. I mean, like, I think it's got great storytelling in there. I mean, the Jim Gordon speech at the end is so inspirational. I mean, yeah, there's but, really amazing stuff, and I wouldn't say it's something I would never recommend anybody. But you remember when your dad gave you a very inspirational speech as your favorite uh, vigilante was riding away into the sunset? <laughs> All the very, time, man. Very organic. Very <laughs> organic. Yeah. Because we have to chase him, son. Because yeah. he can take yeah. it. <laughs> Why is this all written down, Dad. <laughs> yeah, are you reading yeah. this off of a piece of 
Was that a cocktail? He's always here like this. Yeah. <laughs> what about the dead district attorney right behind us? He's all, because we can rake him. Yeah. We can rake it. <laughs> oh, dang it. Dang it. Um, Smudge. I think, I think uh, Desert Island movies would warrant its own episode, sure. and I'd definitely like to yeah. do that at, at yeah, a later definitely. date. Yeah, sure. Uh, Jordan? Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny you brought up the Dark Knight uh, trilogy. and, and <laughs> it's my Man. favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm telling you you're wrong. No. <laughs> yeah. No. But what, what, what I was thinking about when you were talking about that is, uh, and I, I would get this so much from people, um, after seeing all three of the Nolan Batmans, um, the one that I kept coming back to was The Dark Knight Rises. And that's because one of my favorite books, late elementary, middle school. Oh, I was, a Tale of Two Cities. It's a Tale of Two yeah. Cities by Charles Dickens. You're the only one that's and, ever gotten that reference, bro. Yeah, and there's yes. so so much yes. in the movie is about the, yes. the haves, the have-nots, and what yes. happens when society breaks down. And even uh, Commissioner Gordon, mm-hmm. at the end, reads was essentially the last yep. paragraph and a half of Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities in this movie, heavily inspired by it. You know, I mean, if if you had to take a, uh, a superhero character and in, inject them into a, a work, one of the most famous works of fiction in the last 200 years, or so, that's what The Dark Knight Rises is. Is that what he's saying at the end, uh, where he's like, uh, you know, a piece? I the, see, yeah. You know, I, I, I see a beautiful known. city. It's almost word for word. And the brilliant people rising from okay. this abyss. That's from the end. Even that, that and down the shutters, uh, Selena Kyle yep. says, is basically a yep. paraphrase from that book. Too, yeah, and it's, so. re- it's about, you know, the... the You've got revolutions happening in, around the world. You had the American Revolution, um, in which even though there was violence, it was in some ways more of a um, more of a gentleman's revolution, sure. where it was slapping each other with dueling gloves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a modicum of respect. There you go. When you sure, look at sure. the French Revolution, the leaders of the French Revolution in the beginning were then led to the guillotine, and yeah. it's it's the snake that eats itself. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, Absolutely. And in many ways, we still we you know we still see that. We see that in society. We still see that in works of fiction. This idea that you know these people they rile up others, and then they, they then the the masses turn on them. Yeah. And uh, and you know that's what Bean is trying to do. He's trying to incite separation. He's trying to uh, you know because that's ultimately how you you know you blow up a city, they can rebuild it. Yeah. If you tear down the culture, the society, yeah. you know, will There's it be rebuilt? Go. Um, Rome. Yeah. When, yeah. Exactly. Now, Dark Knight Rises is not my. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not mine. But um, that's that's what what story. Story, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah, but uh, but for me, um, one of the big ones, um, that I always come back to is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Interesting. And, yeah, and it's one of those things, not I, what I thought yeah, you were gonna say, yeah, I know, well, yep, yeah. yeah, it's one of those stories that, um, I wasn't much of a fan of, of that particular book. I like Doll's other stuff, BFG, the book, the James and the Giant Peach, those were some of my favorite books as a kid. I never really cared for the Charlie and the Glass Elevator stuff, uh, but man, I just love Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah. I love him just about anything he's done. Uh, Blazing Saddles is oh, like so one of my... Oh, so you're a Gene Wilder fan, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <That's what laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Condescending walking. Um... Uh, no, and in Willy Wonka, I would just I would watch it and I'd watch it and just be like, uh, "What is with this family that all the that all of the elderly are so poorly taken care of <laughs> yeah. that they essentially have to share one well, bed in the middle?" Of the Joseph, he's faking it the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And he gets up and yeah. says, hey, I'm doing a jig. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, go get a job. <laughs> yeah, you know the. Yeah, but they're just um, lying to him. <laughs> but I was in college. I was uh, I was at the university. I was taking a class, and uh, we had to analyze. Um, political uh, messages in works of fiction, and film was one of the options. And Willy Wonka was on. I actually 
I just got home from working a, a closed shift at the theater, and it was on TV, and I was, I'm a college student, so I'm like, I gotta hammer this thing out pretty quick. And I'm trying to figure out something I could do, and um, one of the things that I had done previously in the class was uh, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight as a metaphor for the war on terror, and there's a lot of themes in there. There's warrantless wiretapping with the cell phones, mm. there's rendition kidnapping people, that's what happens in um, Hong Kong, you know, there's uh, torture, and does it elicit, you know, the, the proper... Uh, information with the Joker and the interrogation room. I mean, there's like a little thing. I'm watching Willy Wonka, and the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, like, gosh, like this just feels weirdly like communist propaganda. And here you've got this kid who's, uh, uh, um, you know, Charlie Bucket, and uh, he's kind of from the, the, the have-nots, if you will, and he ends up getting this opportunity to tour this uh, this. Uh, this entrepreneur, this this business owner's factory, and see all these incredible things. And I was watching the movie, and I was seeing all the kids as not just, I mean, Augustus, Mike TV, Violet Beauregard, uh, Veruca. I wasn't seeing them just as the terrible kids they were, but kind of what they represented. You've got the glutton who's always consuming. You've got the girl, uh, Violet, who, who never does what she's supposed to. And her dad's a used car salesman, Violet Beauregard, which there's like nothing more sleazy sounding that's... I mean, calling somebody who's car salesman is like a pejorative term. Yeah, you know? yeah. You've got Mike TV who's just absorbing media and, like, the violence and just unfazed by it all. I mean, you know, he talks about wanting a gun, and the dad's like, not till you're 12. And then Veruca Salt, who's like, I mean, she, I mean, me, 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 my, 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 she wants the golden Help goose. Me, daddy. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And then at the very end, when Charlie's given the opportunity to enrich himself through this competitor, Slugworth, he gives the everlasting gobstopper back. And then he's given, you know, the keys to the kingdom, the control of the means of production. You know, it should have been written by Marx. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, a, it's one of those movies where there's just so much classic about it. I love the music, and I'm not much of a musical fan. Mm-hmm. I love the music in it. I love the visuals. It's got weird psychedelic stuff. Every time I come back to it, there's something I either uh, feel has importance that I didn't understand, or there's something where it's just went over my head, and I'm like, what was this even doing in the movie? So... Um, yeah, Willy Wonka probably for me is just one of those ones that, um, I mean, it's, it's appealed to people for so long. I just feel like it has this long reach and, um, and yeah, it just is a very interesting, it's a very interesting way to tell that story. Mm -hmm. You know what's cool? Another, on a side note, you could also argue that the remake is a sign of capitalism gone bad. Yeah. Oh (laughs) yeah. You're like, oh, let's remake this and make a bunch of money off something so cherished. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Let's tweak a few things (laughs) and just hit you know, copy paste yeah. and just and essentially know, what they did with the Oompa Loompas. Like, oh, let's just hire one dude yeah. and just yeah. copy his face. <laughs> yeah, and you better believe that guy. Like, he, those residuals are probably not very high. No. He's not getting one per screen. Yeah, time. exactly. So. <laughs> uh, that's uh, I haven't watched it, it, Willy Wonka or Charlie. And You'll Chuck never Factory. watch it the same now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will not. And uh, I'm seeing what you're saying from what I remember. And I never watched the the remake. I'm not a Tim Burton guy, so I, I never put myself through that. Um, but uh, that that's fascinating. I'll have, I'll have to check that out um, to kind of wrap up this like category or th- th- this this thread here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about literature. I don't read a lot of novels. You guys clearly do, so I'm, I'm going to start this one off. And I did not realize it until uh, just kind of like looking at my notes here. Um, the only book I've read in the last uh, well, I've read a couple books in the last twenty years, but only like three. Uh, one of them was World War Z. 
yeah. And I'm a zombie fan through and through. And uh, somebody told me, hey, I think it actually might have been you, that was like, you have to read this World War Z book. It's yeah. it's fascinating uh, by Max Brooks. Max Brooks. Max Brooks. I, I, there's an artist, Mark Brooks, and uh, in comics. But Max Brooks. And of all of my lists of things, the Illuminati, it's this story, this story, this story, as this one story. Uh, Buffy and Angel, Pulp Fiction, pieces of stories that come together. And then World War Z, which follows a, a reporter who is... Uh, kind of documenting what happened during the apocalypse, basically mm-hmm. during when the dead rose, and he's interview he's getting sectional interviews from people, and it's put together in a story that was not on purpose. I just realized it, uh, kind of finishing up here, that I guess I like that type of storytelling, sure. um, where it's not a, a fragmented, it, tale. yeah, it's not That's linear. Awesome. Yeah, it sure. is. It's it linear. Is, it's not linear, but it, it the sum the sum it all sums up. Yes, it all kind of is part of the one thing. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed that movie. It has very little to nothing to do with the the book, um, but yeah, I loved hearing these uh, quote you know real world uh, stories of of what happened to people when the when the dead rose. Um, I just thought it was a very interesting. It was a different way to tell the same zombie story that I had read, sure. seen, mm-hmm. ingested it anyway. It, it, they repackaged and gave me, you know, new Coke. You know, it was... But it was it, good new Coke. Yes, it was yeah. good new Coke, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, they went back to Coke Classic, but it was yeah. new Coke, you know? <laughs> and they told me a story that I was so familiar with in a, in a way that I had never seen. That's great, and that's also great storytelling. Exactly. When you can tell the same tried and true story from a different perspective. Yes. I mean, uh, I, I'm going to ask a silly question, because I've never read the novel, okay. but how I, I've seen the movie. So mm-hmm. is the movie even... A story from the novel? No. Okay, there, so there's a, there's beats, and like when I say beats, I mean we're talking just f- finite beats. Like Brad Pitt saying, "Hey, yeah, <laughs> more or less." Like there's not it, the movie's great, and the movie yeah, in no, itself like the is, movie. Is, is worth yeah. discussion okay. later. But the as far as it being to the true to the source material, they should yeah. have named the movie something different, and you and would have known. Okay, that's what I was getting. You would have never okay. watched that movie yeah. and been like, okay. "Oh, this reminds me of World War Z." No, no, not even that. Nothing at all. Don't call it World War Z and don't pay the don't pay Max Brooks then. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like, he's probably like, oh, okay, yeah, good with that. Uh, but it's 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 solid storytelling. It's you know it's it, you know chapters, different people and their different experiences with what happened to them or somebody that they knew in, you know, in this apocalyptic moment. Um, I, I love it. It's 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 fantastic. And I didn't go back and watch or read any of this stuff in preparation. Uh, because I wanted to tell you from my memory and kind of sh- and, and illustrate Give us like a, point. a visceral Get, point Illustrate a point yeah, I that you, these man. stories are so good, I don't have to go back and reread sure. them to refresh, that they that they impacted That's me. That's why they're your favorite. I haven't read World War Z in 15 years, and I still think well, about it. Well, you were giving me like the Cliffs Notes a couple weeks ago. Yeah. You basically gave me the whole book, like just telling me, dude. Like, I mean, it was amazing. I wanted to read it. Like, you that you night, should. Dude. You should. I've got it somewhere. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll dig it, it, it out for yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jordan, give us, a, give us a, a piece of literature. Oh, man. Um, the written word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my favorites. I come back to it. I come back to it often. It's sort of my catcher in the rye. <laughs> is it catcher in the rye? <laughs> no, no, it's not. That's kind of a, you know that's that's a whole different conversation. I'm getting, I'm getting uh, a Holden Caulfield guy. <laughs> my uh, gosh, probably if I had a, if I had just one piece of fiction, it'd probably be 1984 wow. by George Orwell. Yeah. I can see I, that. I really, yeah. I really dig it. The movie adaptation that was done, uh, John Hurt is super well done. That's it great. takes it yeah. takes the right stuff from the book, yeah. Um, and but and, but it gives its own version of the story. So it's you know yeah. they're they're um, uh, 
you know, you can see their their relation without yeah. feeling like. Um, because, like, Watchmen. Like, yeah. I like the Watchmen comic. I like the Watchmen movie. But at the same time, if you watch the movie, you're pretty much getting the book. But you're missing out on some really good stuff sure. from the yeah. book. And if you read the book, it's the movie and some good stuff. Yeah. It's, and it's like, I don't want to... It's a good take and push and pull. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a kid, I, I, I really don't like much fantasy stuff. I read the Lord of the Rings books when the movies were out. I read the Harry Potter books when the movies were coming out. Uh, but for me, um, and it was a struggle to read because I'm not much of a reader... Um, but it's T.H. White's The Once and Future King. Oh, okay. Which is sort of the preeminent King Arthur legend mm. story. And it, it follows Wart from... Uh, Disney took the, yeah, from Sword the, the first Star, part right? to, to adapt the Sword of the Stone, yeah. Um, but it's, it's you know, Wart, and he's this kid, and he ends up finding Merlin, and they need a tutor for him, and... Merlin teaches him these valuable life lessons by turning him into different animals to see the world from a different perspective. Knowing, Merlin knowing that he's going to become the king and he's going to need this new perspective. And as the story unfolds, it's it's really about what happens when the right people have power but begin to let the power um, not be used the best way. And in many ways... Um, Arthur's downfall is his own doing, even though he's a good person. And uh, a lot of it is, um, some of it is pretty dense and a little hard to get through. Uh, it's written in a in a fantasy vibe, but it's not all spells, wizards, and magic. It's just, it's a very different way. I read about the first four chapters of the first Game of Thrones book. It's very similar. So if you like Game of Thrones, you'll like it. If you don't, it, it might be a little... It might be a little tough to get through, um, but then probably if I had to pick a third one, if I had to come up with another one, um, Alexander Dumas' The Count of Monte Cristo mm, is always a book that stuck with me. You know, this whole idea, Edmund Dantes is wronged. He he made a small mistake, pays for it in a much bigger way. He's in prison for all these years, uh, wants revenge against these people that have wronged him, and uh, given he's given the opportunity to, but sort of realizes that revenge isn't... <clears throat> killing somebody, it's pretty much getting to a place where you're the only source, where they have something wrong and you're the only one that can solve it. And uh, you will solve it, but then they'll remember who you are. Yeah. It's that it's that torture. It's almost like a torture that is not uh, meant to be punitive, but in a way, like, weirdly restorative. Sure. Uh, How accurate is the uh, Jim Caviezel and uh, uh, Rex Harris movie? It is... Um, I would, I mean, I would say that thematically it's accurate. Um, the book goes into a lot more detail, mm. um, and they do a good job condensing a lot of the stuff with Napoleon in um, in exile, which kind of kickstarts the story. Um, and they, the book spends a little bit more time dealing with what happened there. Um, but it, yeah, once again, this whole you know, because you think about the big archetypes in stories, mm. right? There's the there's the hero's journey, uh, you know, the idea that somebody goes on a quest to do something, and um, uh, it's the it's literally the oldest story. The the oldest written story is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm. It's a Sumerian story about a warrior king that him and his friend go on a, a quest to kill a monster. It, I mean, I think four thousand BC. It's the oldest you know written form of literature. This idea that that people um, go on a journey, that go on a path in some way, and that changes them, that changes the world, that they return to their old world, but they're not the same anymore, yeah. you know? Um, revenge is kind of one of those big archetypes, you know? Because they really play on the idea that, you know, whether you are whether you work in a cubicle 
whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a stay-at-home spouse, like we all feel those things. We feel the need to do something bigger than ourselves. We encounter people that wrong us in some way. And so all these stories, I think, you know, we're like all of human history is really retelling the same six or seven stories, but the it's, it's not always the variety that makes them interesting. Sometimes it's, you know, some of the similarities they have. Mm. And, you know, 1984 in its own way is a revenge story. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, so all these different ways of looking at books, movies, TV, you know, whatever form of fiction it is, um, you know, kind of to, to Eric's point, talking about kind of how um, it's a reflection in some way of human nature, uh, kind of you know, staring into the abyss and what's looking back, you know, and, and whether and what are those sources, what are those anchors that people hold on to, whether, it, you know, Daredevil, it's, you know, his faith. Um, whether it's Batman with his sense of purpose and justice, whether it's number six and it's the idea that he's not a number, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, the, the, the fact that I have something you want is what gives me my value. Mm-hmm. If I give it, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just a number like everyone else. Striving you know? to hold on to your, to your individuality. Yeah. That's what ties you to reality essentially. Yeah. Is that. So I know I get that. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. yeah. I totally get that. Do you bro. have any, any major literary works? Oh, that... big time. I don't even know where, I mean. It's going to sound funny, but my favorite book of all time is The Great Gatsby. Really? (laughs) Everyone thinks that's so odd. Um, And maybe, uh, in a way, it doesn't doesn't tell, like, the same story. It's essentially a first-person's perspective on um, a a man seeing another person and and seeing the faults in this man. And essentially seeing all the faults in himself and being a better person than this man. That is Gatsby, obviously, is the man. So... I mean that that's what I t- I mean that's just a quick abridged version but the the, the book I was going with was um Factotum from Charles Bukowski. Um this guy essentially blurs the line between fiction and reality in his stories. He writes under a uh, pseudonym uh Henry Chinaski <laughs> okay. and it's it's a story from him wanting it's him wanting growing up to be a writer mm-hmm. and all the trials and tribulations he goes through to be a writer. And he, in an interview, said that I can't tell you where I begin and where Chinaski ends. Mm. Like, all these stories are so interchangeable. He's like, I might have embellished some things, but these are taken from real-world experiences that I've gone through. Mm. So I think that, to me, in a way, says more than a lot of these other stories that I've read because there's a there's like a, a dank realism to it that you can't get from somebody making something up, you know? Um I, I don't really want to give too much away from this book because I really want people to read it. Because okay. if I give it's you an experience, pieces, yeah, really, it really is. Um, they did make a movie starring Matt Dillon um, playing uh, Chinaski, and it's actually serviceable. It does a good job, but there's, um, like Jordan was saying, you know, there's parts in the book where you're like, oh, that's really cool. I wish they had put that in the movie, mm-hmm. you know. But as far as the movie goes, there's like, oh, that movie's not better than the book. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not a good give and take, but. Uh, that would essentially be my favorite book. Uh, Naked Lunch from William S. Burroughs is a really awesome book, too. It's hard to read because yeah. it's basically a guy just taking a bunch of drugs and writing whatever comes into his brain. Yeah. So um, I don't know why these stories resonate with me so much. I think it's the fact that maybe I want to live vicariously through these people. Mm. Uh, maybe having gone through similar experiences that these people have gone through, mm-hmm. maybe that's what attracts me to it. But... Yeah, those would be my picks. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, I think I, I like the the kind of again the, the, this wide net that we've cast on storytelling and just very different 
ideas of, of what makes a good story. And I think to kind of end on, on a note, um, there's a give us, and this is something that, that Jordan w- w- was talking about as well. What is a story that had the best of intentions and just really fell flat? For Can you? we do books or movies? Or, or, anything. Okay, in, okay. In, in any media. Yeah, okay, good. In I was like, kind of scared of that question. Like, am I supposed to do a book or a movie? Or okay. Yeah, in oh. any medium. What was a story that, man, this was a good premise and just let you down? I'm going to go with The um, the Purge. Oh. That had a really awesome... I mean, the movie's not god-awful. Yeah. But it's really not that good. There's so much more you could have done with that. I yeah. get that, you know, maybe narrowing it down to one family makes it a little more cost-effective. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe the acting's a little awful in that, too. But, you know, it wasn't very... Ex- it wasn't executed very well. But the premise is so cool that we do become so overpopulated. I could just... Maybe in a far distant future, I could see the government be like, "Yeah, go and just kill kill each other for one day." Yeah, all, all, yeah. all crimes. It's, it's, it's almost like, um, oh man, I'm try- I'm sorry. Evolution just kind of like you know supercharged. Like, okay, only the strongest survive. Yeah, <laughs> you get one, one night, and if you survive, you live one more year. Yeah, you know, if you don't, you don't. You know, so, I've, I've never seen a single one, and I think the premise sounds really cool. Yeah. And people have talked to me about. The story. I've only seen the first one. That, yeah. People have talked to me about the story, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. The only thing I've seen in reference to it was an episode of Rick and Morty where they basically <laughs> go to a purge planet, and uh, and Rick's just like, oh, man. He's like, I love these. Some people call it the culling. Some people call it the uh, the cleansing. He's like, it's interesting. you know. He's like, these societies, they need this. And it was like kind of not a backwater, but maybe a... a you know, Midwestern uh, sure. or Old West kind of feel yeah, of this yeah. town. And it was kind of fascinating, but I've never watched them because I got what I needed out of the trailer. You, like, did. Oh, that's no, you really it's did. Really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I just got to say, man, uh, I'd be like the most boring person on the purge. That would be the day I would do my taxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and you better believe, like, guess what? A lot of deductions. Yeah. <laughs> like, so. yeah. It seems like it's weird that, that the idea that it's, we always go to like murdering. Yeah. But yeah. Like I'd, I'd be involved in getting the Eleven guys, and let's go do a heist. You know, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, I would like rip tags off mattresses. <laughs> uh, like I'd be, I'd be like the PG version. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, for me, the 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 problem I have with this is it's a cult classic, and so I think because it's a cult classic film, a lot of people are somewhat protective of it. But when I sit down and watch it, I'm like, man, this. I feel like this story could be done in such a deeper, more visceral way, and it's the Warriors. No, oh, love um, that movie. I love them. I, I really enjoy. I, I see what you mean by like, like people being very protective. Of yeah, movie. I like a lot of the movie, uh-huh. but I but like the premise of like you you've got this guy that's like you know what we've got all these gangs we got we're all we're just bifurcating we're not even trifurcate we're just all dispersed diaspora we're all spread out we're all fighting each other. Yeah. And if we all work together, we'll run the city. You know, we'll yeah. run the city. We'll run yeah. New York. We'll run, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then you know, these guys they get they get framed. You know, they're they're kind of a. I I would say they're almost nihilist in a sense, where it's like, well, let's kill this guy and and just kind see of what see happens. what happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Much. Yeah. And uh, and then you've got this small group of you know warriors. The the warriors. You know, the handful of them, yeah. ten of them or so. And it's about. Uh, they're at the park, and the police raid it, and now somebody thinks the warriors are the ones that shot them, and they've got to get home. And the the journey from you know from where they are to getting home is uh, you know it's they you know, some of the members die, some yep. of them get arrested, so, yep. you know. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I just think it would be, it would just be super cool to see. I remember there was talk a few years ago about Rob Zombie being involved yeah, in some kind of remake or something. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like, you know, there's some other people that could handle it. But, yeah, keep it small. Yeah. Keep it, you know, isolate. And just this idea that, like, these guys are out on their own, that some people could, will help them, some people and won't. And their leader has and died, too, yeah. at the very beginning. So they're, they're yeah, really they, yeah, on Yeah, and their they're own. kids. They're all, yeah. they're on their late teens, and they want to be tough. But, yeah. you know, I, I think that would be a... Uh, that and then also um, I about two thirds of the movie really enjoy it. Lost me in the third act is uh, Interstellar, mm, and yeah. there's I mean there's I, it, it poses a lot of questions. Yeah. I think it gets a little lost in its own head. It's got a lot um, of fictitious like science going yeah. on in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, wait a minute, what? Like, yeah, like stop talking about solving gravity. Yeah, like gravity is why I fall out of bed in the morning. <laughs> right, right. Tell me what that means, Michael Caine. Uh, but. <laughs> But, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, just this whole idea about a man whose uh, his family's experienced loss, but here he's given an opportunity to give his family a future right. by essentially foregoing his. And what happens when... Um, I, I think there's a weird uh, depthness to the, the scene where they go to the planet, the water planet, and uh, time is lost there. You, you know, so many minutes on here, so many years back on Earth. And... Um, and they talk about how time is a resource. It's like air. It's like water. It's, you know, and that's very true. They explain life. it pretty well. Yeah, they yeah, explain it pretty cool. well. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. That is, I, and I feel like that concept is something that I think is one of the deepest parts of the story. Yeah, they should maybe explore that a little more. Yeah. You know, maybe that should have been the focal point of the, of the movie. Yeah, you know, and that whole idea yeah. that to all of us, time is a resource. For sure. You know, it's all zero. It's finite, man. Yeah, exactly. Us, dude. And, uh, yeah, but then the, uh, some of the stuff with the third act and the way they the way they resolve the stuff that happens at the beginning yeah. it's just it gets a little it gets a, a it gets little, little Nolan yeah it does um, that Nolan science you get that little yeah. Nolan syndrome yeah Nolan. and the thing is is there's a lot of Nolan third acts that I like yeah. um, sure. and that one just maybe because it just, of it's yeah, yeah I don't know yeah I, and to your point, there's another kind of awesome science fiction movie that had an awesome premise, but then turned into a slasher fi- flick for some reason. Was uh, Sunshine? Yes, like yes, it had Danny an amazing Boyle. premise, yeah. and then all of a sudden it turned into this crazy uh, slasher film at yep. the end. Like, wait, wait a minute, what? I mean, it would have been cool to me if it just turned out to be like the ship breaks down and they all have to sacrifice themselves to get the ship yep. to the sun. Don't throw in that weird guy yeah. <laughs> that looks like the. I think they were trying to ape. Um, Event Horizon a little bit, yeah, a little yes, bit yeah, you know? yeah. But um, I, I thought, I mean, up until the slasher point, I'm like, or a slasher point in the movie, I'm like, this movie's so good, yeah. well acted, and but yeah, then it just kind of loses me. Yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I have a lot of problem with Christopher Nolan movies. Um, I enjoy them for the most part, but there's just yeah, there's always just moments in there. I'm like. I get the feeling he just want him and his brother want to show us like how smart, smart they, they, are, they are for sure, and uh, and that kind of deters from like, Storytelling. the art yeah, of, of what they're doing. Uh, my, mine's a little uh, is definitely uh, less cerebral, but uh, just because it's it's fresh in my head, and it's these Jurassic World mm. films, <laughs> um, Jurassic World, and then Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I literally just watched Fallen Kingdom last week. I had I was not a fan of Jurassic World. Uh, did nothing for me. Uh, didn't add anything to to Jurassic Park one, and you know everybody loved it, and that's fine. Uh, but I, I, it didn't do anything for. I have a problem with oh, let's make 
better dinosaurs. Let's make different yeah. dinosaurs. It's like, no, dinosaurs are they're interesting enough. Yeah. They're yeah, interesting yeah. enough. Yeah. So I don't need something bigger, well, maybe better. Could, maybe that plays to the fact that humans in general just get bored so easily, yeah. and then you need to step it up. And like, here's and and the thing. The thing is, is uh, the dinosaurs that were boring killed so many people. Yeah. So if we make them better. They'll kill more people. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we make the same dinosaurs and we just make our gates bigger yeah. and our fences taller. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and I just watched The Fallen Kingdom and it was the first time that I, I hadn't really thought about it. In the movie, the guy who was apparently uh, John, John Hammond? Yeah. Uh, uh, his, the kind of the other side to that coin... Um, he cloned his daughter. Oh, that's right. And you said that could have been a really cool premise to the whole movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really interesting. Like, oh, like I never thought about the. I, I never applied this uh, uh, DNA recreating of, of dinosaurs into like recreating people. It yeah, just or, never, or, or it organs. Never, never dawned, yeah. uh, dawned on me. Yeah. And it's happening in here. And then they're trying to sell dinosaurs on the black market. <laughs> and it's just like it's just this ridiculous premise. Uh, on a under on these foundations of Michael Crichton's book and Jurassic Park one <laughs> that just don't make any sense. Like if you drop me in the middle of of either of these films, I wouldn't know I was watching a Jurassic Park movie other than the fact that there's, there's dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Oh my god! And you know, just cool premise, but yeah, yeah. just 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 does, falls way way early in the in the in the finish line. You know, yeah. just does not cross the line. I, I I didn't get a chance to watch that one. You know, Ali, you're not missing much. Yeah, I'm that's not what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Much. I do like Chris Pratt's character. Sure. I think Bryce Dallas Howard is 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 lovely. But you, from what you've told me, they're not really the same characters from that first. They movie. don't feel they're like, like the same characters at all. Characters. Yeah, they, they feel yeah. like completely different people. Like, so. I just, I think we might. I, this might be a point in which we all might reach some consensus or agreement. I think, uh, in many ways, and I would say, in many ways, being the majority of his work, writing and directing, I think one of the people that have consistently come up with a great premise that fails in the execution, with a few exceptions, M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. Some of his stuff, I mean, Six yeah, Sense. I, would say that I feel like all great. Yeah, up until the end. Six Sense, <laughs> I feel like lives up to his premise. Yeah, Unbreakable and, yeah. and oh, Glass. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Unbra- um, Unbreakable and Split, Split, I feel like live up to oh, his premise for sure. But really, outside of that, everything else in the kind of movie community, online community, is very divisive. Yeah. You know, what's crazy that, is Signs could have been so much better if they mm-hmm. just made them demons and not aliens. Like they thought they were aliens, but then. You know, when they hit him with water, because it's blessed, because he's a creature. And that's why they're melting. All of a sudden, like, oh, they're demons, not aliens, you know? That would have been A clever ending is not always a good resolution of the story. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, you're not going to... If you're going to wrap up a rock in this beautiful paper and give it to me as a present, it's still a rock, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's how I felt with the ending of The Village, where it's like, I'm sorry, you already gave us one twist... And now you're giving us a pretty unnecessary twist that, like, this whole idea I think about, he calls it the titty twist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with two hands. Uh, but, uh, but, I mean, there's, yeah, once again, it's one of those things where it's like, um, it's not enough just to come up with a good what if. Sure. You know? Uh, and I was thinking about this on the drive over. Um, I think a lot of people, they mistake spectacle for story, right? Mm, like, yeah. you know, Transformers movies made a lot of money. People went and saw them. We're not going to be talking about the Shia LaBeouf Transformers movies in 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, no, we're not talking about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, someone might find the Christ allegory in Optimus Prime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, and then. <laughs> and Bumblebee's his uh, Judas. Yeah. And then he transformed. <laughs> yeah. Two times. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like. Um, 
there's always been this idea that movies as a visual and performance-based medium, the you know, how many sequels are the first movie just bigger? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jurassic Park fell into that trap. I feel oh, like yeah. Jurassic Park and then Jurassic World kind of fell into that trap. That, yeah. that kind of, you know, and... Um, uh, and it's once again, it's one of those things where I think it was South Park when they were making fun of Michael Bay, and they, yeah. you know, they're talking about like, you know, well, tell us a story, and he's like, explosion, these things, and like, that's not, you know, those are special effects, and you know, it's yeah. like, oh, I thought that was story, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's not doing the quote justice, but yeah, it, like the, I feel like it's the stories because a visual in a movie, superhero movie, action movie, whatever, um, you know, you'll think about it, but. Like I come back to how I f- how a movie made me feel, yeah. Not oh, what yeah. I saw. Well, I think that's what Marvel is doing so great. You do get the spectacle and you get the story. Yeah, yeah. Marvel is just is killing. And it. it's not the sp- it's not it's not forsaking the story and not the emotional character it, development it, it, to provide. It, you know, it's it plays secondary to the story in my yeah. opinion. Most of those movies on Civil War in in general yeah. to me is like yeah. You know, you're getting two conflicting ideologies from two friends. Yeah. You know, and that's the, the crux of that story. And yeah, and you're great and it's great because you get these guys dressed in armor punching each other, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think spectacles lost on everybody, you know, or stories lost on everybody because of these fast and furious and yeah. the transformers. So yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. With spectacle, with action, with sex, with violence. It's a scalpel. It's not a bat. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Michael Bay doesn't understand that. He put the scalpel on a bat and just started swinging. You know. <laughs> yeah. So you have these. You know, they they should be the 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 sizzle, not the steak. Sure. You know. Unless that's going to be the whole point of your story. I don't know. What is that Michael Fassbender movie? Shame. Shame. Yeah. That is using all those things you said basically, and that's the point of the movie. Maybe. I tried to watch that on a plane, and I had to stop it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was not aware of what this movie was. Did about. you feel? Did you feel a little shame? Yeah, I felt tons of shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I think that that's going to be our show for today. We ran a not not long, but I think that we hit a lot of the points that we oh, went yeah, to. Absolutely. I, uh, Jordan, I'm so glad that you could come on yeah, the show yeah, totally. and, yeah, and gave us this topic to discuss. I think it was super fun, um, as is uh, kind of our fashion. Eric, what did you learn today? Uh, I think I'm going to have to rewatch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did not notice um, all those Marxist ideas and. Yeah. I'm going to have to attribute a character to, like, Mao somehow. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, Tuna, did you, did you learn something about yourself? Uh, about storytelling? Well, to be honest, I, I I had started going through Buffy on Netflix. I got through the first season and a few episodes in the second season. I fell behind. Some other shows came up and that sort of thing. Um, but I've heard you talk about the, uh, the, the Angel episode and the Buffy episode. Uh, I haven't seen an episode of Angel. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, that actually sounds like I want to dig into that. And I totally want to go back to True Detective Season 1. Yes. For sure. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah. Come back to it. I think that... Uh... I love that, again, and, and I talk about this a lot in our shows, just differing opinions on differing stories. Um, I'm not a big Taxi Driver fan. I'm not a big Clockwork Orange fan, but I appreciate how much Eric likes them. And I appreciate uh, how much you enjoy The Prisoner. I've only watched a couple episodes. I haven't watched the whole, uh, but when you were, when you told me about The Prisoner years ago, I was like, I have to watch some of the show. And I did, and I was floored by it being ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. And I think kind of the theme of storytelling is that what the prisoners from the 60s yeah. and we can still find today in 2019 the motif the uh, idea that still resonates today 
And are we still, t- are we telling the same stories or is our story growing? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, something to think about. For sure. So for the REC podcast, I have been Roman Chavez. I'm still Eric Icarus. And Jordan, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate thank that. You for me. If you like what we're doing, please hit subscribe, hit that like button. You can find us on various platforms. Leave us a review. Let yeah. us know if you like what we're doing and, uh, and things that you might want to see on the show. Definitely. Uh, so thanks for listening today and uh, thanks for joining us.